Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's through verse 13. And we're continuing in our sermon series called Building the Household of Faith by looking at this letter which was written to a pastor in uh, the early church, the first century A.D. And we're seeing what we can learn about the church from God's holy and perfect word ourselves. 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Friends, brothers and sisters, uh, we read, but mark this, There will be terrible times in the last days. When are we talking about? When is this? What are the last days? It sounds very ominous. It sounds apocalyptic, like the end of time, the end of the world. But if you take a look, some of you got your Bibles open, take a look at Hebrews 1. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that was. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. He says there, right at the beginning of that letter, something that gives us a clue. He says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Hebrews, like the whole New Testament, was written in the first century A.D. 
Those days were called the last days. What the Bible calls the last days started with the coming of Jesus on this earth. They're the time between when Jesus first came and when he's going to come again. And so Pastor Timothy, who this letter was written to first, was living in the last days, which seems a little strange. It doesn't sound right to us, but then we got to look in the Bible and see what, what his last days mean. Timothy, those were the last days, and we are still today in the last days. It's the last days in the sense of what the Bible considers really the final period in, in the history of the church, this time when we've been waiting for Jesus' return, and in the meantime, Jesus has given his people, his church, a job to do, to teach the word, to make disciples, to shine the light in this world, to live as citizen kingdoms wherever we are. And so these verses are about then. These verses are about now. Mark this. Pay attention. During the last days, there will be terrible times. It doesn't say it will be all terrible all the time. There will be a bit of ebb and flow, no doubt. Times when the church is doing well, even thriving. Times when society or certain societies are maybe not so bad. Times where we see evidence of what we call God's common grace, his grace in the world and that things aren't as bad as they could be. And even outwardly, maybe good things can happen. Once every 71 years, the Cubs can go to the World Series. There's ebb and flow in the last days. There are times when there's relative peace, civility, care for those in need, and, and so on. But, says Paul, they were all, there will also be terrible times. And in our verses, we see what that involves. Uh, near the end of our text, he talks about his suffering for the faith, persecution. And then in verses 6 through 8, and kind of the backdrop for a lot of this is false teaching in the church. And then in the first verses, he has this list of immoral deeds. So suffering of believers, false teaching, immorality, all general characteristics of the last days, all the times, and sometimes it will be so bad, it's just terrible. And many Christians think we may be living in one of those periods now that we could call terrible times. What do you think about that? Are these terrible times? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul was writing this letter from a Roman prison. And you read that list and you're like, wow, Paul must have had cable TV in prison. I bet you didn't know that. He had cable in prison. But it sure seems that way. You turn on our, t- our television sets, you come up with a very similar list. This looks like 2016 to me, where you can't really watch any news about the presidential race with your children. Uh, with Sophia, who's here, she's nine, and, and we watched uh, the first 15, 20 minutes, half hour of the, the debate this past week, and the stuff that was being talked about uh, is very troubling. It's a sad day when we don't have to look any further than the two people who could become our commander-in-chief to see evidence of the terrible times, abusive, boastful, proud, conceited, slanderous, lovers of money. You don't have to look any further than, than who's running for president. These are the times these three children were born into, and, and older members of our church have told me numerous times how they feel for parents who have to raise their kids in these times, and it's true. It's a challenge to raise our covenant children in these times. That list, it starts and it ends with the idea of misdirected love. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and at the end, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so what happens in terrible times, in our times, is that our loves get flip-flopped. Jesus calls us to be the servant of all, but we put ourselves, we put our needs and wants and desires first in our society today before anything or anyone else, me Me, me, what makes me happy, what gives me pleasure. People actually vote this way. They vote for policies and candidates that will help them in their life the most. And there's very little sense anymore of the common good. It's about individual needs. What's good for me? What's good for my kind of people? When instead, our love for God and and what he wants must be first. And what he wants is for our lives, our bodies, to give him glory. He wants us to love those around us, uh, to care about them as Jesus loved us. Everything goes south when people replace the love of God with the love of themselves. And, And we know it's not just a problem out there. It's an issue in our own hearts. Only a hypocrite would talk about the terrible times without acknowledging the terrible sin that's in our own hearts and lives. We've gotten pulled into any number of these behaviors in this list. We have those tendencies too. We're part of this culture more than we should be. Behind these terrible times, this ebb and flow in history when sometimes it's really terrible, is a terrible war that has spanned history. 
And, and last week, we were reminded of that, the ultimate nature of these things, when it said that people have been ensnared by the devil. He's leading a fight with the fallen angels against God, against his church, against his people. And sometimes those attacks are ferocious. Sometimes it feels like the devil is gaining ground. And maybe, and and it seems like we as God's people are losing ground and Those are the times that that many Christians feel we're living in, in in that kind of day. Sometimes it's so bad, it's so fierce, that the best thing a Christian can do is take cover. And I don't say that lightly, because I'm a positive person. And the Bible says we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. It says whether we eat or drink, we do it all to the glory of God. We're a Christian Reformed church, and we come from uh, the Reformed tradition that goes back centuries. And Reformed Christians, in particular, tend to be positive and forward-looking. We own those types of verses that we're more than conquerors. Uh, whatever we do, it's to the glory of God. We, have, we talk about going out there and claiming every square inch of this creation for Jesus Christ, taking it back from the devil. We want to make a difference for the Lord and his kingdom wherever we go and whatever we do, whether we're a pastor in a church, whether we're in business, we're teachers, tradesmen in sales, homemakers, artists, students. It's all worship for the Lord. It's all as unto him. We can make a difference wherever we are. But sometimes in a war, the best thing to do is to take cover. And that's how a real war goes. Although we are more than conquerors, we know how this will end. There are battles that are terrible. When the enemy is dropping heavy bombs all around, you need to take cover. Sometimes in war, you're advancing, taking the land, and sometimes you're taking cover. And I think that's the situation that Paul presents us with. Terrible times in terms of immorality and then also false teaching. In verse 6, he talks about weak-willed women, and that's not, it's a, it's a description of the people who were especially allowing themselves to be swayed by the false teachers. And, and this probably actually gives us a little more background to what Paul was writing in 1 Timothy about women being silent and not teaching. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about women praying and even prophesying, so that's likely not a universal statement for all women. That was probably about false teachers in that place and in that time. And verses 6 and 7 give us a little more details on that. In verse 8, Janus and Jambres, they're not mentioned by name in the Old Testament, but they're traditionally the names given to the magicians in Pharaoh's court who mimicked the miracles that Moses did. 
In addition to that immorality in verses 2 through 5 and the false teaching in verses 6 through 8, Paul refers to his own persecutions. He mentions three places he visited. In Antioch, we read in Acts, he was driven out of the city. In Iconium, he narrowly escaped being assaulted and stoned. In Lystra, he was stoned and they dragged him out of the town thinking he was dead. So in these sufferings of Paul, too, and in in our suffering, there are times when it doesn't feel like you're making any progress at all. Paul was kicked out. It was really bad. If there are times to take cover, Paul tells us here how to take cover, what to do in these terrible times. Uh, When things are really bad, you can fall into despair. You can let fear take you over. You can get stuck, paralyzed. But that's not how Paul responded to the terrible times. That's not how we respond. Here's how you take cover. There's two things. You first flee evil. And that's what verse 5 says. All that list of these terrible vices have nothing to do with them. Sometimes... You just have to get out of there so you're not influenced and taken down. I think of students, I think, you know, whether, you know, maybe you're in middle school or high school or college or later, there's a time to be a good influence on your friends, show them by your example the Christian way of life, but maybe one day you end up in a situation with a group of friends, you're at someone's house you're at a party, things are not what you expected. There may be drugs, alcohol, inappropriate conversation, stuff happening that shouldn't be. The best thing to do sometimes is to get right out of there. Otherwise, you'll be compromised. The enemy might get you, your heart, your eyes, your body. Have nothing to do with them. Sounds like it's not loving to others, But Paul's talking here about extreme situations and our love for the Lord and his ways. It's always got to come first. In college, uh, for the first two years, I lived in the dorms and there was a room down the hall uh, where not too many, I don't know how it is these days. I went to college a long time ago now, but back then only like a couple people had TVs in their rooms where I was. So a few, a few doors down, there were groups of guys watching TV. Well, one time I walked down there, and there were more, more guys in there than normal. I was like, oh, man, this is probably a really good movie or something. So I walked in, and as I turned to see what was on, it wasn't good. It was some kind of pornography, and I, I turned right around. I walked out. That was not the time to join them and build relationships with the guys and tell them about Jesus. Because that would be at the expense of my own heart and soul taking in junk. And I think of another example of, of nothing to do with them when the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. Dating and marriage is not an evangelism project. We don't mess around with that. The Bible draws a line for us. We are called to only consider for a marriage partner someone who belongs to Jesus. Get out of that kind of relationship. God's word makes it clear. 
Second in our verses, the way to take cover, we flee in some situations. Paul says that in verse 5. And then uh, the other way is to follow the way. Early Christians uh, sometimes were called followers of the way, Jesus' way, and it's different from the way of the world. Paul says in verse 10, you, however, and some translations say, but you, okay, big contrast coming from the terrible stuff we read before, big contrast, you are different as a believer. We walk a different road. It's a different way. He says to Timothy, you know all about my teaching my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. So we flee evil, have nothing to do with it, but then we walk this different way. And of course, Paul isn't making this all about him when he says he's talking about this way of life, his purpose. He's talking in an official capacity. This is the apostle Paul, the one who follows Jesus. And so by Paul pointing to his own life in this official capacity, it's really the same as pointing all of us to Jesus and his way. The language Paul uses is the language of a disciple and a mentor. And it's a little hard to see in English, but in the Greek language, in the original, it's the language of discipleship. And that's how Jesus did it. We talk about his 12 disciples, and there are many more. Jesus had disciples, followers, learners, and that's what we're called uh, to continue in, too. We're all Jesus' disciples, but then we're discipled by others, mentors, those more experienced in the faith. It could be parents, teachers, someone in the church you look up to and respect. And then we're called to disciple others. It's the mission of the church. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And, and so what Timothy is being called to in a positive way is exactly what we call people to do as a church. It's what we're all about as a church. It's what we're doing. It's Jesus' way. It gives us purpose, making disciples. We're committing to raising our kids in the Lord. We're helping each other do it. We're living the Christian life together. We're openly sharing our struggles, our challenges, our joys. And you and I, we need that so much. We walk the pilgrimage of faith together. We listen to that word. We live it. We call each other back on the way when we stray. We respect and we hear from the generations before us. We help along and we give a hand to those younger generations after us and those who are newer in the faith. Being the church, making disciples in terrible times, that calling becomes more urgent than ever, so vital. And so we support the church. We pray for the church. We increase our commitment to the church. We increase it rather than follow the crowd whose commitment to the church is lessening. This is what you and I and our loved ones in our world, it's what we need in these terrible times. There's no other hope. As Bill Hybels has liked to say over the years, he says, I, I, I've looked for the hope, I've looked for the answers, uh, I've looked at all the alternatives, 
and I don't see any. Businesses and corporations aren't the hope for us. Government isn't our hope. Our universities can't do it. We need the mission of the church. The world's only hope is the church, which he commissioned to share his truth and love. The hope is in building a community like we are here, the church. There's just a final thought from our text. As we, as it were, take cover in terrible times, fleeing evil, following the way, no matter what everyone else is doing, we maintain and we have, through it all, a winning attitude. Even when the bombs are falling, we can have the winning attitude because the war will be won and it is being won by our God and Jesus. Despite the bad season, God's people may be in from time to time throughout the centuries. You look at Paul and what he says about his persecutions, the terrible times for him. What does he say in verse 11? But I endured. The Lord rescued me from all of them. And in verse 9, this terrible stuff, terrible immorality, false teaching, but they won't get very far. They're not going to get very far. God's got it in hand. I love this attitude of Paul in the midst of a really dark and downer of a passage. But that's not how it ends. You can see his winning, confident attitude. And we can have that level of assurance. We can have that confident attitude too. You may think, if you know a little bit about Paul, well, well God rescued him from all his sufferings. He had these terrible persecutions, but God rescued him. Uh, uh, of course, well, but, but what about my loved one? who God didn't rescue from disease or whatever? Or what if things keep getting worse in our country? What if future presidential elections become more and more a spectacle and like reality TV shows? What if it just keeps getting worse? What if God doesn't rescue me or doesn't rescue us in our lifetimes? Well, Paul knew something about all that too because... He was on death row in this prison writing the book. And he knew he wasn't going to escape it. In verse 6 of the next chapter, he says it. He knows the time has come from his departure. His life on earth is finished. He's going to die. Yet he still says this positive attitude, yet he still says, God has rescued me. How can he do that? Well, it's because he knows what the ultimate victory is, and he knows where it's at. He knew that the battle that determined the outcome of the war had been won at Calvary on the cross in Jesus' death and resurrection, which guarantees our victory. No matter the battles today, the ones you're dealing with in your own heart and life, the ones we face in society, Jesus' victory over death and the grave, it means we're on the winning team. 
Paul is also the guy who wrote 1 Thessalonians. He talks about that great day at the end of time when Jesus will come on the clouds, his people will meet him in the air. At the end of the time, says the Bible, just when time seems so terrible that we can't take it anymore, Jesus will pull us out of the trials and tribulations. There'll be a great judgment where people will be separated, some to eternal punishment, but those who have followed Jesus' way will go to eternal glory in the new heavens and the new earth. For those of us who are so much about the here and now, we want to make a change today, we want to claim every square inch, we've got to remember where it's going. I think one of the reasons we get so discouraged in the last days and in the terrible times as Christians is because we think that this is where it's at. We want, as Christians, heaven on earth. We want the kingdom of God fully now. And although it never happens, People seem to think the kingdom will come through a particular political party, through a particular candidate. But that's not what God tells us we'll get. He says we'll have trouble in this world. He tells us there's a greater prize than being comfortable on this earth and getting everything our way now. In the midst of, of that reality, Paul, about to die, has the attitude that Jesus' victory brings. He can say about evil men and false teaching, they will not get very far. He can say about suffering and persecution, even to death, the Lord rescued me from all of it. And we can have that approach too. We really, truly are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And in that reality, we don't lose heart. Sometimes the times are terrible. Seems that way today, it's hard. Sometimes the best thing a Christian can do when the battle is fierce is to take cover, flee evil, commit more than ever to Jesus' way. But taking cover doesn't mean cowering in fear. It doesn't mean giving in to despair. No matter what the times, we can have a winning attitude and approach. And we keep working. We keep praying toward the coming kingdom. Because in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, we have victory.